continuing on in our series, and kids, I've not forgotten about you, so uh, just hold on, but we're continuing on in our series, Christmas with the Prophets. We got to meet last week the Prophet Jeremiah. How many of you like the Prophet Jeremiah? Do you like meeting him? Wasn't he? A, he's a good guy. Uh, I, I enjoyed meeting him as well. And um, he, he proclaimed God's justice and righteousness. Today, I was hoping we would get to meet the Prophet Malachi. All right? Um, but but I, I haven't seen him. Anybody seen Malachi? He hasn't shown up yet. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we'll go ahead and turn in, in your book. So turn in your Bibles, sorry, or your apps or your phones to the book of Malachi. And if he shows up, we'll... I'm here. Oh! He, he is here. Oh, man. Malachi. Sorry about that. That's all right. Let me give you this, sir. Oh, yes. Oh, there it is. Thank, um, thank you. You, you. You made it. Well, welcome to Hilltop yes, Church. Yes, I'm very honored to be here. Thank you very much. Sorry, I have a, a bad habit of being late. Uh, I was actually the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, I turned it in a day late. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. I, I didn't realize that's why they put your book last in the Old Testament. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, you know, that's totally okay. I'm closer to the New Testament than the Old Prophets. So. That's, yeah. that's true. You're as close as you, you can get. Well, yes. hey, now, now that you're here, we don't know a lot about the Prophets. Do you mind telling us about yourself? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I even have God's PowerPoint. Oh, actually, we don't call it God's PowerPoint. We, never mind. We'll, we'll go with God's, okay. God's PowerPoint. Okay. Behold. Ooh. Awesome, okay. I'm going to get up here if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, okay. Back up one. Hello, my name is Malachi, and I've had the privilege of being the author of, again, the last book in the Old Testament. I missed the New Testament by about 400 years. Not a lot is known about me. My ministry happened around 500 to 450 B.C. Yeah. Oh, next slide. My ministry happened... Oh, I said that already. Awesome. I ministered to the people of Israel after they returned from Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. And then we lived under the rule of the Persian Empire. Our province was called Judah, although the Persians and the Greeks called, us, called it Judea. It was much smaller than the kingdom of Judah we lived in 70 years before. And my name, Malachi, literally means my messenger. My parents gave me an appropriate name because I was a messenger, and I wrote about the coming messenger. If you have read the Gospels, you'll probably be familiar with some quotes and come from, that come from my book. One of them is from Mark 1-2, which says, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. In my days, after we returned to Judah, people became frustrated with God. Things turned out okay. Right after King Cyrus miraculously allowed us to return home after 70 years. But we were small, poor, and uh, we were picked on by the other provinces. We rebuilt the temple and thought surely God would return and make life good again. But when he didn't, some stopped believing and said, where is this God of justice? Some even went on to break God's laws and said, God doesn't care if we disobey. In fact, he's happy with our disobedient lifestyles. That's when God told me to share a message about the coming messenger, whom you know as John the Baptist. You see, many people thought that when God returned, he was going to say everything is fine. But the truth is, when he returned, 
And when God became a man and dwelt among us, he didn't come to say everything is fine. God came to refine us, to purify us, like metal is purified. It's not a comfortable process, but the end results are good because we become his righteous people. Well, Hilltop Church, it's been wonderful meeting you. Thank you for allowing me to share it. And I want you to remember me the next time you receive a text message. Because that's my name. <laughs> message. <laughs> oh, sorry, this is a little joke. Then I want you to ask yourself, am I also receiving? Am I listening to the message God has sent to me in order to refine me and make me holy? Thank you. Now, I got to tell you, I'm jealous. I've been doing this for like over a month now, and look at that. That's amazing. It's a lot of work. I'm just, uh, I'll work. tell you that now. Right. That, that picture, though, looks like you're going to be losing some in a few years. I just oh, want yeah. you to warn you. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Malachi, thank you for being here. God bless you. Okay. Love these prophets. Don't you love them? If you're a kindergarten through the fifth grade and you'd like to go to Kids Connection, you're welcome to go. I think Mark's uh, teaching this morning. And the rest of you, we're already in our Bibles, the book of Malachi. Part of the purpose of this series is, is to help us get to know a little bit uh, the, um, the prophets, to not be so afraid of them. In fact, we're really not used to hearing directly from the prophets uh, we hear their quotes in the New Testament, uh, especially around uh, Christmas time. Uh, but I think uh, we don't go to them directly in, in part because, well, I don't want to say they're harsh, but they speak directly to the heart. And it hurts sometimes to hear truth. Uh, we could put it this way. The, the truth of the prophets hurts. All right. We might call it hurtful truth. Um, and that's one reason that uh, we, we, we stay to the right. You know what I mean when I say we stay to the right in our Bibles? <laughs> we stay in the New Testament and we don't head to the danger, dangerous area called the Old Testament. Somebody wrote this, said, With man as the filter through which the Word of God must pass, it is inevitable that he will censor out what he does not wish to hear. And we agree. Because we, have, we read the Word of God and, and we censor out those things that we don't like, that we don't want to hear. But the prophets, the prophets have a way of breaking through our defenses. And, and we know this because Jesus told us this. Many of them were killed or arrested or thrown in prison. We don't know what happened to, to Malachi, but I can tell you just by reading what he said in the context of where he said it, it probably did not go well with him. Last week we learned that Jeremiah, some of his own family, wanted to have him arrested. And even some of the fellow prophets and priests wanted to have him, him killed. But prophets have a way of getting through to us. You see, we like our silver, and we like our gold, and we like our jewels already dug up and cleaned, don't we? We don't like to go into the ground like, hey, you know what? I'd like a new diamond. I'm going to go out and dig for it because that gets us dirty and that's difficult and it takes a long time. We like everything cleaned up. But when you go to the Old Testament, you go to the prophets, if you want to discover their hurtful truth, it takes digging. Are you with me? It takes striving. It takes, oh, what's that bad word we don't have to say anymore once we get done with school? Studying. 
And maybe that's also one reason we don't head to the prophets. But at Christmas time, we can't avoid them. And this is one reason I'm excited about this, this series. And I hope that you have been enjoying it, even though we're only in the second week. It's because at Christmas time, we, well, we find out, we should know this when we read the Christmas stories in the Gospels or the birth stories of Jesus, but they're filled with the stories of the prophets. In fact, our whole New Testament is filled with quotes from the prophets. And the prophets looked forward to the coming of Jesus. They talked about it and they longed to see it themselves, although they didn't get to. They looked forward, they prophesied about the Advent season that we are living in right now. Malachi wrote about the coming return of God and told us to look for the messenger who would prepare the way for God's return. Well, since we don't know a lot about the prophets, you have your Bibles open to the book of Malachi. I thought I would just take a little bit of time. It's a short book, too. Just to help us get to know Malachi a bit. If you have your, your um, bulletin, you can follow along in your notes there. Uh, just a couple things about Malachi that will help set the stage for what he has to say. Because uh, behind everything the Word of God says is the motive of love. Behind everything the Word of God says is not God trying to control our lives or to control everything in the world. Behind the motive of everything, the first motive of God is love. That's the first motive of creation. How do we know that? Because in the beginning, before God created, there was only one thing, and that was God. And God existed in three persons. We call the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He existed in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship, in perfect love. The only thing God is equal to in the Bible is love. God is love. And so therefore, His motive for creating and making us is love. And His motive for correcting us whenever He corrects us, even if that correction is harsh and difficult, is always fill in the blank. His motive is always love. Very good. So, um, two things to know about Malachi. First this, Malachi wanted people to know God loves them. He begins his book, I don't even call it a book, more like a, a letter, huh? But he begins his book in verse 2. He says this, I have loved you. Chapter 1, verse 2, you can just turn a page and see it. I have loved you. Now, we could literally translate that, I love you. But it's translated, I have loved you, because what Malachi was trying to communicate here was that God has always loved his people, continues to love his people in the present, and will love his people. We don't, we don't have a, a word for love or a way to write love in English that communicates past, present, and ongoing, do we? So that's why it says, have love, the past perfect. Oh, that was a grammar word, right? It's, it's the past perfect. It means it's something that happened in the past, it's happening now, and will never stop. God loves His people. The, the book begins with that. Um, it's proof because God in, in Malachi is writing about the messenger who would come to prepare the way for God to do what? Send his son. The messenger comes to prepare the way for the son. And who do we know the son to be? Jesus. For God so loved the world. Malachi prepares the way for us to hear that God loves us because he sent his Son. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you're into math and you like numbers, you'll like this. There are 55 verses in Malachi. And, and I added them up last night just to make sure that's true. There are 55. 47 of those verses are God talking directly to His people. 
God's direct address. So 47 to 55, that means 85% of Malachi is God having a one-on-one conversation with His people. That's more than any other prophet in the Old Testament. Why is God having a one-on-one? Because He loves His people. He's talking to them directly. He came that close. And the second thing I want us to know about Malachi is this. Malachi wanted people to understand God's purpose. The truth is God wants to bless His children. We see this in chapter 3, verses 10-12. through 12. God wants to bless us. He wants to give us satisfying lives. He wants to fulfill us. He wants us to find happiness. Now, those terms, fulfillment, satisfaction, happiness, they've been stolen by the world and and redefined and made different. The fulfillment and satisfaction that God gives is different than the world will tell you. Just want you to know that. And, but that's what God wants for us. He has a true and higher happiness. He has a true and higher fulfillment and satisfaction in store for our lives, or He wants to give to us. In, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 6, uh, God is speaking directly to, to Levi. Now, Levi was the son of Jacob, uh, of, of Israel in the Old Testament. One of the, the twelve tribes was named after him. It was the tribe of, of Levi, of course. And this is what God says. It says, Levi walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. That's chapter 2, verse 6. Levi walked with me. Now, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we're told to follow Jesus and, and that God is with us. But in the Old Testament, they were told to follow God. But that wasn't as intimate, that wasn't as personal as walking with God. I think there are only three people that we know of in the Old Testament who are said to have walked this way with God. And it's implied with Moses, but we know that Noah walked with God. We, we know a guy named Enoch, right, walked with God. And now we find out that Levi also walked with God. What does that mean to walk with God? It means to have this intimate and personal relationship with Him. That is what God wanted. That was, is what God as a father and Malachi reveals God as a father. That's what God as a father wanted. That's his end game. What does God want? What's his purpose? That we would walk, that we would have an intimate, personal relationship with him. But, but there was a situation happening. And the situation is this. Malachi told us a little bit about it. Um, we think that when you say, well, God loves us and he wants to be intimate with us, have a personal relationship, that means, man, that must have been a big, happy family there in Israel, Right? Not so much. You see, they had, they had left Babylon. God promised, I will help you get out of Babylon. It was miraculous. King Cyrus the, the, took over Babylon. The Persians now ruled it. And he let God's people go back and even blessed them and sent supplies to them so they could rebuild the temple. They, they came back. Well, look what God's doing. And God promised one day he would return to the temple. Maybe we didn't realize, but God left the temple before it was destroyed. Ezekiel tells us this, that God left the temple. He left. His presence left. And so they came back and they rebuilt the temple because there was this promise. God would come back to the temple one day. But here they are. Judah, much smaller, insignificant, picked on by all the other uh, Persian provinces around them. God had not returned to bless them as He promised. God was silent. And so when life is difficult... And God is silent. People 
fall into the temptation of forgetting about Him. If, if you feel that um, uh, life is difficult and God is silent, let me just say, study Malachi. <laughs> Malachi is, is one of the books for you. Not the only book, but one of the books for you. It's what to do when God is silent and life is difficult. And one of the things we see in Malachi is now, which we're going to read chapter 3, verse, uh, sorry, starting in verse, chapter 2, verse 17 through 3. Verse five. If some of you want to stand, you can. If you're, if you want to stay sitting, you can. But I'll let some of you stand and get the, the. Uh, uh, oh, we don't, we don't have those anymore. What does it used to be? Heebie-jeebies. What did our teachers say? The, the, the. Come on. What's the word? Heebie-jeebies. No, that's not it. The. Um, well, you want to jump around? The willies. Yeah. If you want to get the willies out, here we go. Nobody wants to. All right. Here we are. Malachi chapter two, starting in verse seventeen. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring who will bring offerings in righteousness and offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Verse 5. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Gracious Almighty God, we ask that you would add your blessing and our understanding to the reading of your word and hearing your message from Malachi this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. When life is difficult and God is silent, study Malachi. And point one is this, don't give up on God. When we read Malachi, specifically the verses that we've read this morning, we learn this. We don't want to give up on God. Now, giving up on God doesn't mean you necessarily walk away from the church. It means you give up on what God truly wants of us to love us and be near us. The people had given up on God. They began to think, well, God's not coming back. God doesn't hear our prayers. It doesn't matter how we live or what we do. And they began practicing impersonal religion. A religion that had no um, internal effect or no change. Because they believed this. They began to believe, well, disobedience doesn't matter. God's not here. So disobedience is good. It's okay to disobey. In fact, some began to teach God is delighted. He's happy when we live according to our law and not His laws. And others began to think, well, there's no justice. Look, God, you're not doing anything about improving my situation. People aren't nice to me and you're not coming uh, to judge those who aren't nice. And so they began to think, where is, they asked the question, where is the God of justice? By the way, in the Old Testament, when you ask where is the God of justice, Basically, you were saying he doesn't exist. It was a, a statement of an atheist. Now, that's different from those who said, Lord, when will you bring your justice? Like Jeremiah would say. That was seeing that God needed to come. These were saying God's not going to come. But here's the irony. 
even though many stopped believing, even though many started doing what they knew God didn't want them to do, they continued to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. It doesn't make sense, does it? If you no longer believe in God, why are you going to church? If you no longer believe in God, why are you doing those things? Because they continue to do those things out of habit. In fact, in chapter 1, God calls them on the carpet. I see that you go to worship, you go to the temple, but you do it as if it were a burden. We might put there, you go as if it were an obligation. You're not like David who said in Psalm 22, I rejoice with those who said, let's get up early and go to church. You're more like those who say, oh, is it Sunday again already? I think this gives us an opportunity to examine our own faith and religious practice, our reasons for going to church and our reasons for having church in our lives, our reasons for studying the Word of God, our reasons for being in a small group of people who help us to follow Christ. Has it become an obligation rather than a joy to us? In America today, the average Christian goes to church, I should put it this way, the average church-going Christian goes to church once a month, maybe twice. But what are the reasons we go? Sometimes we go to serve. Sometimes we go because our friends are there. Sometimes we go to hear the preaching. And all those are good reasons, but they're not the foundational reason. So you get a feeling that in the Old Testament, if something that happened and the, and the sacrifices stopped in the temple, the people wouldn't have cared. They'd be gone, oh good, now we have an excuse. So, so ask yourself, what is the reason that you go to church? What's the reason you study God's Word? What's the reason you're involved in a, a Bible study to help you follow Christ? Is it because of friends? And if those friends stop going, would you stop going? How many of you have seen that? You don't have to raise your hand. Seen when people's friends or family stop coming to church, they stop going to church. Do you go to church to serve? It's good to serve in the church. But if you were asked to no longer serve in a certain ministry or you no longer had that opportunity to serve on a certain ministry team, would you then stop going to church because you can't do that? Or if suddenly the preacher that you, you liked, I, I hope I'm not one, was not here anymore, you say, well, the new preacher's not like the old preacher, or I don't like the new person, or, and then stop going to church. How many of us have seen that happen in our, our lifetimes? See, Malachi gives us an opportunity to examine our own hearts. Is there a desire? And are we seeking a real and intimate walk with God? Some of you know we're a Wesleyan church. Our, our latest Bible study is studying uh, stuff about John Wesley. And one of the things John Wesley uh, talked about was being a real Christian. That word gets overused today. We don't say it a lot. In fact, there's a, someone wrote a book about John Wesley that he was a real Christian. What does that mean? Someone who is truly striving for God, if their friends don't show up, if they, if they don't get to do this ministry anymore, if it's a different preacher, as long as he or she is preaching the Word of God, it doesn't matter. If you're a real Christian, you want and you seek with joy after a deep, intimate relationship with God. The second thing I think Malachi says to us when life is difficult and God is silent is this. Let God straighten your thinking. Now, how many have heard from Matthew 11 or from the New Testament about John the Baptist being described as the one who will become and prepare the way for the Lord. Have you heard that before? He will prepare, he will straighten his path. Make, make the mountains smooth like valleys, right? Make the crooked paths straight. Now that doesn't make sense. Because when God comes, he doesn't need anybody to straighten the paths for him, does he? 
He doesn't need anybody to flatten the mountains. I was reading through uh, the book of uh, Habakkuk a while back, and it says that when God stops, the earth quakes. Like, what? And God is so powerful that when He's at work, I mean, everything's getting shaken up. And even when God's resting and when He's stopping, the earth is still shaking because of God. So why does God need a messenger to go before Him to straighten things out? He doesn't come to straighten God's path so God can get through. He comes to straighten our thinking so that we don't miss God when He returns. God promised, I will come back one day to the temple. All right, pop quiz for us Christians. When did God return to the temple? In the New Testament. When Jesus walked in there. And what did God do when He was in the temple in the New Testament? It wasn't a fun day at the temple, was it? <laughs> Remember, he cleansed. We, we know that. See, yeah, he cleansed the temple, right? He turned over the, the tables. This is an interesting story um, or uh, yeah, story from Jesus' life. True story. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Record the return of God to the temple in the person of Jesus and Jesus cleansing the temple. So, why did the people of Israel miss it? That's what they were looking for. Because they didn't allow the messenger to straighten out their thinking. And what did the messenger say? I'll read it to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist, who was that messenger, we know that, said this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In order to see who God is, in order to see where God is, one's thinking must be straightened so that we see why God comes into our life. What God wants to do. He came to cleanse the temple. He came to refine. And here's the connection for this, for us. 1 Corinthians tells us we are now the temple of God's Holy Spirit. The purpose for which Jesus came was to refine and cleanse us. And we miss the presence of God in our lives when we're looking and expecting Him to do something else rather than to do what He came to do, which was to cleanse us and refine us. Look at point three. Realize that God has returned to refine us. Maybe we should make that more personal and say this. Realize that God has returned to refine you, to refine me. Jesus didn't, when He came back to earth, He didn't come and say, hey, look, everything's fine. He didn't come to make everything fine. He came to refine us. And you saw that image on the screen when Malachi was here of um, um, silver being refined. How is silver refined? It's heated up. Same with gold and precious metals. It's heated up so that the impurities are burned away. And then they come along and anything that's not burned away floats to the top because what's true and good is heavy. Is glorious. And what's not true and good floats to the top and is, is scooped, we say it in a personal way, is scraped away. He came to refine us. Yes, God loves us today exactly as we are. Because He loves us, He does not leave us as we are. C.S. Lewis, the Christian uh, teacher, 
An author said this, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because He loves us. Church, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we make a big deal of the Advent season. We celebrate because God has come to refine us. God has come to cleanse us, to burn away the impurities in our life. It's a bummer the way it happens. He does this not by causing trials. Listen, He does this by using the difficulties and the trials and the circumstances of our lives. He even does this through the stillness and we are hoping for greater things, the things that we cling to. He does this by using these things to burn away our wrong thinking and our wrong expectation and those things in our life that aren't right. Next time you see baby Jesus in the manger in your nativity scenes, let us remember, just like we're going to remember Malachi's name means message, we're going to remember that that little baby grew up to become a man who came to cleanse me, to purify me, to refine me. This is what we signed up for. If you ever prayed and asked Christ in your life, if you ever committed your life to Him to follow Him, it wasn't just so He would come and make your life fine. You signed up for this, that He would come and live in your heart to refine you, to transform your thinking, and to transform your heart, to transform your life. That's what it means to follow Christ. Perhaps the most difficult of those impurities in my experience to have God burn away our pride and arrogance. I want to ask you to raise your hands but I have a feeling I'm not the only one. Because pride and arrogance make us blind to the truth of God. And they are some of those things that cling the tightest to us. And I'm not saying He's done getting rid of all the pride and arrogance that needs to be gotten rid of and refined and burned out in my life. But I know that when He has done this, these things that have blinded me to the real truth of God, it's not been easy. Because from pride and arrogance comes the belief that I deserve better. God needs to improve my situation because for whatever reason, I deserve it. From pride and arrogance comes the expectation that God should reward me. I'm a pastor, by the way. Or I've been a Christian a long time, by the way. From pride and arrogance comes the confidence in me that I can fulfill my dreams. If I just set my mind to it, if I just do the right things, if I just listen to the right people, my dreams, what I want in this life, I can achieve. You may, you may not. But when pride, if pride and arrogance are in your life and you do find success in this world, a lot of times they just dig in even deeper. And then we're deceived into thinking when we do succeed and when things go our way, that look what I have done. And we forget what God wants to do, which is to refine those things out of their lives. From these things, pride and arrogance comes the inward turning of our lives. Focus on building up my life and my possessions and my things. Making my life Bigger. The prophet Habakkuk again warned of this. He said, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. 
Habakkuk 2.9. What sorrow awaits you who believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. I think this describes too many Christians today. That we're doing the routine of going to church, but our hearts are really about gaining more in this world or gaining comfort in this world or gaining more things in this world or getting past the difficulties of this world. You know, and I'm going to say an aside, this is what I think, and I may not be right, so don't take this as Scripture, but I don't think God is really that concerned whether we are rich or poor or middle class. If you think He is, then you think those who are rich, God likes them better, right? I don't think He's so concerned. I think He's thrown out talents and gifts and and things, and, and, and sometimes those things happen. I don't think He makes certain people rich and certain people poor. I don't think that's His concern. Rather, He's concerned with our hearts wanting to be rich. He's concerned that when we are rich, our faith is in our riches. He's concerned that when we are poor, or should we say, go ahead, middle class, even though middle class aren't poor, we think we are, but we're not. He's concerned that we are obsessed with those who are rich and want to be rich. He's concerned more with what riches and the desire of riches does to our faith than He cares about what people have. Because here's... Again, the end game for us, point four, God's refinement results in our service to His kingdom. When life is difficult and God is silent, don't give up on God. Let God change your thinking. Let God straighten it out. Realize God has returned to refine us. And then finally, understand this, God's refinement results in our service to His kingdom. I was reading through this. This is one of the difficult parts of reading the Old Testament. We don't get it. God speaks here to the Levites. I'm going to come to you. And you're going, what about all the other people, God? How come all the rest of your non-Levite people you're leaving out? Because it was the job of the Levites in the Old Testament to be the go-between. They were the priests. They were the go-between. They were the ones responsible to teach uh, teach people God's law and God's ways. And they were responsible to help the people maintain an intimate, close relationship with God by making sure the temple was working, the sacrifices were being done and all that. So God, He's smart. He knows what He's doing. He needs to refine the Levites so that they can continue to do their work and that work would bring refinement to the rest of the nation. Now, whenever we read the Old Testament, we have to read it through the lens of the New Testament. And in the New Testament, sometimes we'll read this stuff and go, well, we don't need sacrifices anymore. There's no more temple. There's no more priests. So this doesn't apply. But wait a minute. We know in Peter, when he wrote his letters, and even the book of Revelation, we are called a kingdom of priests. I guess you could say, I think you could say, we are a kingdom of Levites. Does that work? (laughs) We're a kingdom of priests. What do you mean? That means God's refining of us through the giving us of His Holy Spirit when we receive Christ and our sins were forgiven and remaking us. And He's remaking us for the purpose of Sharing His truth and His glory and His love and His holiness with the rest of the world. When God refines us, He turns our hearts from being focused inward on what we want and what we can have to being focused outward 
to minister to others. That is how, listen, church, that's how we know the refining work of God is being done. When suddenly you have compassion on someone you shouldn't have compassion on. A couple people just pop into your heads. <laughs> when suddenly you find yourself praying or ministering to or desiring God's truth and goodness in the lives of others, then you know that the work of refinement is being done because you're turned from, from inward, selfish, wanting for me, for me, for me, and now you want God's good for others. God's result, uh, refinement results in our service to His kingdom. Now, you're in a Wesleyan church right now. And those who are, are part of the Wesleyan movement around the world, I don't just mean as a denomination, but are, we call Wesleyan Ar Arminianism or, or follow the Methodist way, understand that John, John Wesley, he taught this. He taught that the moment we receive Jesus, we are initially sanctified. That is, we're made holy. And then we're given the ability to become entirely sanctified, to work towards entire sanctification. Now, when we hear that, we go, well, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I need to confess my sins all the time. I have to ask God for forgiveness every day. Guess what? John Wesley did too. Huh? If you read his prayers and you read how he instructed people to pray, he always started with, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. But I thought he was perfect. I thought he was entirely sanctified. He was. We don't understand what that means anymore. To be perfect doesn't mean you don't sin. To be entirely sanctified doesn't mean you don't sin. Now, one day that'll be true when we're in heaven and we, we're in this state which theologians call glorification. But right now, what does it mean to be entirely sanctified? It means I am so in love with God. I so desire to be near Him that when I see error in my life, when I see wrong thinking in my life, when I commit a sin and am made aware of it, I immediately confess to God. I go to him and say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. Help me. It doesn't mean we, we actually want it. I mean, some people anger us so much, we begin to hate them, because, and we just want to hate them. Am I right? Yet we know we shouldn't hate them. So what does the person who's sanctified do? Lord, help me to start to want to not to hate them. I know that's hard to follow, huh? <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. That's what it means to be entirely sanctified doesn't mean you're perfect yet, but you're striving to perfection. You want to be perfect like God is perfect. And, and what does the Bible say when in, in, in um, Matthew 5? Be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. It's talking about the love of God. To love others. Folks, do you want this? I know there's other things in the world that our hearts want, but what Malachi wants us to hear is, is the messenger who says, straighten your hearts out and focus on what God wants for you. That is your entire sanctification, your holiness. That is to be fully and completely refined so that you are striving to love others in service to the kingdom of God. And when there is, is error, you find it in your life and you're looking for it. <laughs> when you find sin, you say, Lord, Refine this out of me. And here's what it's going to look like. In verse 5, you may wonder why, why we read it and what it means. Yes, bless your love. The people were saying, when's God going to come and judge? And God said, well, I'll come and judge. And this is what I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge the behaviors you've been doing that you think are okay. I'm going to read through this list so that we look at these a little bit differently. 
that we look and see that God has called us to call these folks to Christ. And when we're refined and called Levites, that's what we do. We are calling these back. What does it mean here? It says, so I will come and put you on, tri- on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers. We don't have too many sorcerers. And we're not talking about the Harry Potter kind, by the way. But sorcerers were those who helped people find other power. Solve life's problems. Whether it be self-help power, whether it be inner healing power, whether it be the power of another religion. religion. And listen, church, we're quick as Christians to condemn people who do that. But God has called us to love them, not to say, I love you even though you do that. I love you and I don't want you to do that. That's what we're supposed to say. That's what we pray for and work for. Adulterers. And we should just throw in there all types of immorality that's in our world today. We can't sit by and say it's okay when you are filled with the love of God. Your heart aches for those who are giving their lives to sexual immorality and you want to call them to purity. Even if they hate you, you're praying, you're seeking, you want their purity, not them to stay the same and not to excusing their behavior. Perjurers, those who lie. Those who defraud laborers. So those, those bosses. I, I know. I don't know about you, but I hear about some of these, these rich capitalists and how they're treating their workers, I think, oh, they're jerks. And really, I'm just jealous that they're rich and I'm not. But those who are filled with love of God and they hear the names of rich capitalists and I don't need to name those who own these big companies in our world and how negatively they're, they're treated or how negatively or badly they treat their, their um, employees. We want to pray for them. I'm not praying for the owner of Google. Google's evil. I'm not praying for the owner of, of uh, uh, Amazon. I gave him all my money at Christmas time. But them, their board members, well, let's go on. Uh, those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and the foreigners among you of justice. Just, just so we can be clear. In this list, widows, uh, the fatherless, so the orphans and, and foreigners, had no legal help in Israel. So, so if you need legal help in Israel, what would you do? You went and got a lawyer. Only if you were a man. <laughs> so if you were a widow, you couldn't get a lawyer. If you were an orphan, a male adult, you couldn't get a lawyer. And if you weren't a citizen, you couldn't get a lawyer. They were deprived of justice. And church, I, I, I don't think... Again, it's my opinion. I don't think God really cares what we think about the wall we want built or don't want built. What He cares about is how are we treating the immigrant who is near us? And if, what if they're an illegal immigrant? Well, what are you doing to help them become a legal immigrant? There's ways. But are we just going to stand back and... No, I mean, I... I I've known some that are hard workers. And what I want for them? I want them to be legal immigrants here. I'm not saying I don't want the bad people, I don't want the gang members to come in, but if they reform their life and change their ways? Wow. But, but, but I don't want to get into the politics of it. I just want to say, where are our hearts when it comes to those who are immigrants and new to our country and may not know our system? And maybe be working under the table. And that's not good. That's not right. They shouldn't do it. But what are we doing to help them get to the place where they can do their hard work 
legally? Where's our compassion? I'm not going to get into the details of it. I'm just saying, in your own mind, where's your heart? Is there some refining work God needs to do in how we look at these people so that they might enjoy and celebrate Christmas as that time when God came to earth to be their Father in order to have this intimate relationship with them and refine their hearts in ways we cannot imagine. Would you stand with me, please, as we close in in prayer this morning? Do you want God to refine you? It's not going to be easy. But that's what we sign up to follow Jesus for, and it comes through trial and tribulation. You go ahead, T. comes through difficulty. So join me in prayer, church. Gracious, almighty God in heaven. We love you so much, and this morning we, we know, we're convinced. Malachi says it uh, all through his, his letter to us. We know you love us. And we confess we've forgotten why you came, Jesus. Uh, we've been guilty of looking at the baby in, in the manger and thinking, great, everything's going to be fine now. And when things aren't fine, we're wondering, where's God? What are you doing? As your people missed you showing up at the temple, which they were looking for, we have missed you showing up in our lives by correcting us and changing us and filling us with love for others where before there was hate or indifference, by by deepening our desire to be near you, to know you, to study your word, to be in groups with others who will help us and push us to obey you. We've forgotten to confess our sins to you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me if I've ever been unclear in, in being in a church that, that preaches sanctification. If I've ever made, made us think that we should be uh, without sin or perfect. That's our desire. May it grow. But we confess, Lord, we've misunderstood that. We confess we've held on to hurts and anger and, and all these other things in our hearts. We've forgotten the practice of confession. And Lord, we've forgotten You've come to refine us. So this is our our prayer this morning. Lord, renew our understanding, straighten our thinking, and allowing You to come and refine us, to cleanse us, to purify us, to remove the impurities of our lives so that we may enjoy an even more intimate relationship with You and find ourselves loving our friends, our relatives, our classmates, our co-workers, even those who are hard to love, and seeking and praying for and working for them to know the same Heavenly Father we know. Praise You, Father. In Your precious name we pray. Amen.